0: welcome to the show. So tonight if you are new here we were talking about um, my life and how it fell apart and just the different things that happened and we ended with how I I lost my best friend and tonight we were going to go back and talk about where we are now and what we're trying to do now. We are currently working on ourselves. It's been a long journey. We find ourselves in a rebirth of sorts. So one, of the things that we're dealing with now is, um, in the beginning, it was like a deep dive into everything. Um, I wanted to know everything about everything. I felt so many questions. I was getting so many answers, and so I dived deep and I took a deep dive into quantum physics, which was deeper than when I started in twenty thirteen. Religious stuff, which was deeper than. Um, the you know English literature of the non-western world the classes that I'd had and deeper than than anything I wanted to know everything I wanted to know why I wanted to have answers and so um that was pretty much the beginning of this whole kind of spiritual awakening and at the same time I felt like I was starting over in my life from scratch. And when I say from scratch it wasn't just that we started over from scratch financially or you know having to re get a new place and get all new furniture and stuff like that. that those are things that uh, over the years in our lives we'd gotten used to but um, to start I started over like basically from a child standpoint. And the first thing that I experienced was the, huge amount of anxiety and huge amount of fear that I was experiencing as a child, and I didn't know where it was coming from, uh, because a lot of the memories that I have, you know, are, there's not that many from whenever I was under six years of age, but um, a lot of them were um, suppressed memories from my childhood where it didn't feel safe, where I wasn't safe. Uh, I was born into a cult, and I was born in Ecuador. And one of my first memories was sitting on the edge of this bed. There were two twin beds that were in this bedroom. And I was sitting with my cousin, and we we left Ecuador when I was six so we had to have been maybe four and there was a hepatitis A outbreak that was occurring in the house and I remember this vividly because um, it makes your poop white so I remember being fascinated that the poop was white and I wanted to know why it was white because it looked like chalk in the toilet and I remember having these thoughts. Being that little, but my cousin and I didn't have hepatitis, so they had us quarantined in a room where they didn't let us out for two weeks. And there was a woman that was assigned to take care of us, and her name was Rebecca Rumba. And I can say this because that's not her real name. Um, when you joined the cult, you were reborn, and so you got to choose a different name for yourself. Anyway there was a small book. It was bigger than the size of my tiny hands and it said um, they were the daily devotionals and they were just little segmented parts of the King James Bible and she told us to memorize um, the, the beginning verses, the beginning verses that were in the book and We were to recite them to her when she came back in the room. So she would leave the room. And the first time I remember thinking, you know, trying to, you know, memorize and stare at the little letters. And the the letters were so tiny. And trying to understand the letters and read the letters from the King James Bible and memorize them. And when she came back in, uh, I was scared but not too scared and so I started to recite the verses and I missed one of the the words and I got a full slap on the face and then she bent me over and spanked me right in front of my cousin and it was illicit it was just one pounding after another and so my cousin was also vividly scared that he watched all this happen to me and so he of course flubbed up on one of the words and then the same thing happened to him so she told us she was going to be back in five minutes and we were to recite the verses again without making a mistake or we'd get another spanking and she came back in and it happened again And then she left, and she came back, and it happened again, I think, until, like, the fourth or fifth time. And then we finally recited it right. It was like the beatings had to be so severe and so sequential that we became numb to it. And so we were able to recite the memorization without being scared because we were already broken if that makes sense and so if we left ecuador when i was six and i was under six then we were already reading king james with understanding under age six and reciting and knowing the concept of memorization all my siblings and i started reading right away but i was reliving these things so I was reliving stories that way and I was reliving the beatings and most of all I was reliving the fear that I had been experiencing and I had no idea what was happening to me I just felt fear like an intense fear and in 2011 I'd been diagnosed with PTSD uh, because that was from 9 listening to people die on the phone and have that constant um, emotional trauma from babies and You know people finding their loved ones deceased or suicide. It it all takes a toll on you when you've been doing it for so long and um, After I moved into dispatching for police, it was just too much Um, Hearing officers die on the radio was just not not good for my mental health. So I grew up um, With my parents not believing in medication or mental health even though, you know, they put me on medication or wanted to put me on medication uh, whenever I was depressed, when I was 14. And the reason I was depressed was, it's going to be for another episode. But anyway, they did not support uh, mental health, so that was ingrained into me. And I was like, oh, you know, you had to be strong. You, you couldn't cry. You had to really uh, just, you know, shove everything down, bottle everything up. That was just the the motto. So... This felt different than that PTSD. Uh, That PTSD felt, uh, you know, sweaty hands, sweaty palms, just kind of a disconnect from your body. Uh, This PTSD felt like I was going to die and just feeling that intense, intense fear. And so I started to realize through therapy and a lot of research that what I was feeling was in my body and constantly being disciplined by um, somebody that lived in our compound, you know, because we would uh, be with different people throughout the day and they all had the authority to beat the children. So I was always terrified of getting in trouble. Um, My parents were one of the leaders of these Mm -hmm. cold group homes and so they always naturally had a little bit more In other words, people would be harder on us than other children because we were what they called the leader, the shepherds of the home. And us kids were supposed to be examples to the other ones. So whenever we did something wrong, we got um, punished more severely than the other children. So reliving the intense fear of always having to be Super, on your toes ready for the next whatever was going to come at you Um, the same woman that um, was beating us for not memorizing our verses correctly or reciting them correctly used to walk around the table and all the kids were eating and if she caught a child with their elbow on the table she'd pick up their arm and slam it on the table and she wouldn't say anything. She would just sneak around the table, just hoping to catch somebody and, or a child, a small child. That then she would do that. So I was reliving those fears, the fears of always, you know, getting ready to be hit or hurt in some way. Um, so after, after that kind of passed it, that was really difficult. I thought I was losing my mind. Um, and having to work full time was really difficult while this was going on, but I I had to continue to support my family, even though I was having severe mental health, um, issue that was secondary or, or spurred on by, um, you know, um, brain bleed stroke or (laughs) spiritual awakening. I mean, you can, it's probably all of the above, but, um, it was so difficult and I can say that, you know as hard as I am on myself for the things that I see as shortcomings, I look back at the recovery that I've made and the ability to bounce back from this as being, I must be an incredibly strong person because of what I went through and how I've been able to overcome that and really that is 100% of why I'm here because when I had um, my awakening up right after surgery I felt like and this is all that I kept hearing was that it was about the message I kept hearing like not hearing as in you know something audible but just more of that nudge that thought that the important thing about what I was going through and what other people were going through was delivering the message because we're all so similar and we're all experiencing this life and it doesn't matter what kind of message comes out from whom it's going to resonate with somebody and somebody needs to hear it so me going through all this stuff is really really um as hard as it was and as difficult as it's been to overcome it has to be for somebody it has to be a message to help somebody get through what they're getting through in this life and so that's really why I'm here and why I'm doing this and there's so much that I've gone through and there's so much that I've learned and there's so much that I feel is valuable for other people because part of what I've been learning is, you know, there's so many gurus out there and there's so many manifestation coaches and there's so many people that are on the spiritual journey and they all have a different way of doing it. And that's okay. That's part of the message, right? It's going to resonate with somebody because the whole point of all of this is really to get you well, get you over that hump that you need to get over so that you can leave your old self behind because you know at this point if you're where I am you've changed your old self has really died or you're still in the midst of finding it but you're doing a little bit better Um, you've lost all your friends and family everyone thinks you're nuts and you think you're nuts too Um, but what's new here you always kind of thought you were nuts because your parents are nuts so here you are and you're like well what's next i mean i don't know about other people but i went through this whole not just physical rehab but spiritual rehab so if you're like i am and you you've gone down the rabbit hole you've had to recover physically Um, And, you know, I don't know if that's the way it is for everybody. Lots of people just have the spiritual symptoms, but I had physical, physical symptoms, not only ones that I needed to rehab, like speech and thought process, but it was literally my brain changed overnight and I started to experience fear, things in my body, like, my body was and I were so disconnected. And I didn't realize that until I had no control over my body. And it was just going through all this fear by itself, you know. And um, so I went through that part. I went through all the, you know, stages, I, I went through like a childhood Of reliving some of those fears and things that I hadn't processed as a child and then I started going through um, my middle years you know middle school years and those were difficult because we moved to a different country we moved to Chile Um, when we got to Chile um, I remember sleeping in the drawers it was so cold Um, and being so hungry and Also, I remember seeing my dad lying on the bed with his hand over across his face and I could tell that he was having such a hard time. I mean, because by this point, I am a hyper aware, traumatized child that is a people pleaser because I could always make my mother laugh or make somebody else laugh so that the heat would kind of dissipate. And this is how how bad it was for me, sidebar. Sorry, I'm telling the story of how we moved to Chile, but it got to the point where pain didn't matter to me anymore. And that I often would keep other smaller children or my other siblings from getting into trouble. And I would take the blame for a lot of things. And that's what began my artistic career in self-sabotage. So, I would do that, and I would all that, you know, that's also horrible for your psychological brain as a child. But I would do that, and I, was, I would also then start letting people win. Then, into my teens and adulthood, I took on babysitting duties way too much for my nieces and nephews. I bought them way too many food and outfits and helped my siblings, and to the point that it just. You know, I drove a weft between myself and my husband and our finances. It was a lot, but I digress back to, um, what I was experiencing. Uh, anyway, we're in Chile. I could tell that my dad and my parents were having a hard time. I didn't remember seeing much of my mother, but that's, um, not unusual. I don't remember her a whole lot growing up, um, I know that she, uh, it was always she was always pregnant. I am one of seven, and I'm right in the middle. And my dad has a child outside of uh, the marriage. I used to call her my uh, dad's love child, but it really isn't true. Um, when we were in Ecuador, uh, the this cult would encourage what they called flirty fishing, and this cult is called Family Christian United now and it used to be called the family or children of god when it was created by berg um in california huntington anyway um it was encouraged that you flirty fish which meant that you showed the love of god to men in exchange for donations i.e and or money um it was very prevalent all the way up until the 90s. Uh, there's a lot of paraphernalia out on the internet because they would, you would tie it like a franchise, you know, you would tie it to the main office and you would have your own little uh, sect there. And you would pay the home office like a period scheme for um, tapes that had music that they produced in studios. I mean, it was, this is was a big racket, a big organization. Um, cartoonists that would join and then they would create cartoons of sexual activity all kinds of really inappropriate stuff which is why they got coined as a sex cult in any case that is exactly what it was and so um, the result is is that only three of us out of the seven are children that have uh, my biological father as their um There's only three of us that share one biological father, is what I mean. And you can see why I I had a lot of issues with my family in wanting to come out and talk about this. Because this is really painful and something that they are really ashamed of. And I was as well. And it's difficult for me to talk about as well. Because growing up in my preteen years when we had returned to the United States, like this was something that was a super shameful secret. And it's shameful even for my family to this day. But it was also encouraged in the sex cult that you shared with other people that didn't have partners so that people didn't feel lonely because, you know, people are the bread and butter of any organization. You don't want to lose people because they're lonely and can't find somebody to sleep with. So um, my sister is a product of one of those situations, and my other sister that belongs to my father is also a product of one of those situations, and it's very complex, but he did have another relationship while my mother was off having her flirty-fishing relationships. Um, All of us children knew growing up, but it was still a lot of shame, a lot of hiding. Like, you could never be who you truly were because you had to hide who you truly were and that was a big issue for me I always had to hide I always had to hide who I truly was and it made a big difference in my life I wasn't able to be authentic because of that and so I struggled growing up even into my adult years with that but um I guess my life is half over because I had a midlife crisis, when, and that's usually why. It's because you can only spend so long before your soul or your spirit is like, had enough. And it definitely had enough with me. Anyway, um, other things that I experienced is um, I did go through my preteen years. And it's very, very interesting because, you know, while I'm in therapy, And while I'm doing like cognitive behavior techniques where you become really self-aware and you step back from, you know, the whole scenario and you're, you're the observer, you start to realize that some of what you're feeling isn't you. You're reliving or you're having these emotions coming up that you didn't deal with or that you suppressed. And so here I am having all these emotions and acting out and seeing myself have these things come up in my body, like the uncomfortableness in my chest and my body, everything. um, Because I'm this ratty teenager mentally and I'm going through this. It's like my brain is repairing itself and I'm having to relive these emotions as it's repairing itself. And then I went through that stage and then a, a teenager stage and I was really, really angry. And all this time, you know, within the last few years, I am still still studying therapy, watching everything self, self-help. I, I've been through all the science and the quantum physics I was moving on. And um, one thing about my brain is that, you know, I was diagnosed with ADHD and part of my depression symptoms were because I, I mask all the time. I don't even know how to unmask, I mask so well. Um, and a lot of them are coping mechanisms that don't always work, but I, I, another reason I feel like I'm an extremely either tough person because I've had to be tough or I've learned to be tough or I'm resilient, but I don't quit. Um, my dad and my grandmother always used to say, she got a head like a rock. Uh, My grandmother's Hawaiian and that's how she sounded when she said that, but I went through that phase and I was really angry and I was in that anger phase for about a year. And then after that anger phase, I started going through my young adult phase, you know, and I feel like I'm now in my middle age years where I'm kind of transitioning from the young adult to the older mature adult. I still feel like I'm myself, but not fully grown. And I don't know that I want to be fully grown because I don't know what that means. But I had to go through each of those stages. And one of the very last stages that I've been in is struggling with self-worth. And so this is that hump that I'm at right now. And this is back to why I wanted to do this but there is this hump and that last hump is you so I don't know how deep some people go in their healing journey but you know I, I'm skeptical at first because I grew up with all these really staunch religious ideas and I rejected all those in college after I started you know learning more about the world some things just weren't adding up. So I booted that off to the side, not saying that I was an atheist, but I was more of a scientist. I'm not going to exclude it. I'm going to say, I'm going to leave it open to interpretation. And so I went the science round, um, really enjoyed science, did well in it in school, chemistry, biochem, and then quantum physics and got really into that. Then I got into string theory as it came up. And those were difficult to understand, but I went there. And it's so interesting, because now everything's coming out, that, you know, all these things that I used to learn before, now it's like mainstream knowledge. Um, And then it also correlates to um, the law of attraction and manifestation. I mean, really, it went from quantum physics, to starting to look at these laws of attraction and how they correlated with quantum physics. And then uh, different physicians and different scientists and how they were coming out with all this stuff. And so I was just trying to to find out and have meaning to the world around me. So I went through that phase and then I really got into the phase of listening to different people. Um, talk about life after death and since I'm kind of like a scientist a researcher and a detective I you know I look for common denominators and so finding a lot of the common denominators I started to realize that there is more to all this and there's different layers and different dimensions different things and um you know, and I think everything comes up for a reason. This is just a little sidebar. But I I read that, you know, we see like a 0.0036 of the visible light spectrum. And if I had known that years ago, I'm very practical in some ways. And if I had known that, I would have been like, oh, my God, of course, there's aliens. Of course, there's anything you want to imagine, because if we can only see that little, we have no idea what's going on in the other realms, especially when you, you understand quantum physics and how we're all vibrating at different frequencies. It's so that would have helped me a lot back then, but I figured this out later. And then that's okay because everything comes up as it's supposed to. But where I'm at right now is struggling with that hump of self-worth and I'm trying to figure out how to get past it, you know, so I did the inner child work. Right. You know, I went through all of that stuff and then I went through all the texts and religious texts and ancient aliens and all of it, you know, um, saw the movie, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, that's really how it is uh, to a lesser degree. But at the end of the day, you know, you figure out this is just a game that you're playing. And what's the point? You know, I was struggling with what's the point, and that's where I just recently was. Like, what's the point? And it's funny how you can just keep going and going and going and going, and it always just keeps spiraling back to you. So, the point is that there is no point. We give it meaning, we decide what we want, we decide what we want to do and then we make a game worth playing and a game worth living and i really understood polarity in that instance it all came together that you can't have you know the light without the darkness you don't know what good is if you don't have the bad to contrast it with and the only reason that I still wasn't moving forward and I still wasn't getting to where I needed to be was because of this hump. And this hump was me, me blocking myself from receiving what I know I deserve to feel cognitively. But do I know that inside? I don't know. So I'm, I'm looking at the childhood stuff. I'm going through the science, I'm doing all the work, and then it all comes down to fear. And fear is anger. Fear is so much. And it it stops you from really moving forward, right? And so if fear is just this, response, keeping you safe, then you should be able to override that if you've done the work. So where I'm at right now is, you know, scared to death, but hey, let's do it anyway kind of attitude. And, um, I still struggle with the self-worth. Like, uh, I, I start to experiment. Um, part of my struggle with self-worth is, is weight. So, um, I carry weight, Uh, on purpose whenever I had my spiritual awakening, I dropped weight so fast I couldn't eat. Um, But more than that, because I've gone days without eating, trying the intermittent fasting, but more than that, it was just energy. There was nothing holding me back anymore from all the energy that I should be receiving all the time. But because I was so scared and I blocked everything before and I'm so scared of change and so scared of love because I'd been hurt. I put all these fear blocks in the way. And then once I didn't have the mental capacity to be afraid anymore. And then I had all this energy because I had nothing blocking me. It was like everything just came off in three months i lost like 90 pounds and i was still eating i in the beginning i couldn't eat very much but you know over the course of a year of course i was still eating and so i've tried to figure out what that is now and i figured out that i'm really just holding on to my weight because there's a fear uh, of of losing that weight and There's a lot of fears and reasons for that fear that I'm, you know, diving into. Um, Part of it is that I don't want to feel too attractive. I wasn't allowed to be attractive. I couldn't be prettier than my mom. Or my dad would criticize me. Or my mom would criticize me if I uh, thought too much of myself. Or I looked too pretty. So there's that part of it. And then there's also that I was assaulted from 12 to 14. And when my parents went out, my dad beat me. He called me a whore. And my mom stood by and watched and she gave me so much shame. I took on so much shame. I was speechless. There was nothing I could say, do or to explain. And I was 12 and he was 24. He was my cousin. I had never left the house. We were still being homeschooled. I had no idea about the outside world. I wasn't going to public school. I never left the school grounds. I never hung out with anyone besides my family or my cousins. Um, or other people that came by that had recently left the cult. I mean, I had no clue other than the uh, sex graphic whiteboard dry erase markers of, you know, the fallopian tubes. I mean, that this was our education. And my cousin was already working at the bars, already had girlfriends. I mean, I was groomed. And I was told to be quiet. And I was. And whenever I had my awakening and I told my parents about it, and I blamed them, I was angry that nobody let me talk in the way that they treated me. And so um, they didn't like that either. And so I stopped talking to them over that, but I hold on to the weight because of that. You know, and I've been sexually harassed my entire life. And I think it's, I I mean, honestly, I feel like it's because I maintained a victim mindset from that point on. And so I was easy pickings. The good thing was, is that I was also smart enough to stay out of trouble. Um, whenever I was 16, I was working as a waitress uh, really early in the morning at Holiday Inn on the east side of town, and it had a dining room. I had to be there at 5 in the morning, and um, because we had school all year round, I'd already graduated, and this was uh, my first job, and so I worked breakfast. Well, it was on the highway, and that's why on the east side is... where uh, people would come in and the truck stops and there's always it's texas right and this is where i grew up and deer hunting season they would go not far into colorado and new mexico and then they would come back to texas hauling deer Well, it was uh old hunters and when i say old, oh, that was 16 and and they were probably in their 70s this white man um and i say white because uh, it's it is He offered me, he said, I will pay you $100 if you kiss me anywhere I want you to. And so, you know, I learned really quickly to kind of just like giggle, walk away so that it's not such a big deal without being antagonistic. But it was really hard. And I would get those kind of things all the time. And there was not really anyone to to look out for me or to protect me. Um, the next job I had, um, the manager took me into his office and I was 17 and he asked me to give him a blowjob under his desk. So I left that job shortly after. And I started to realize that I left every job for, for being sexually harassed in one way or another. So that that's happened to me my whole life. And that's part of why I keep that on, but it really affects you know i feel like i'm i'm not in control so and not feeling in control is is hard for me because we are always in control whether it's underlying conditions or the way that we actually are feeling at the time whether we're conscious of it or not so i'm really trying to be consistent and um really live life consciously so it's it's frustrating when i can't get over this one hump you know of, of where i feel like, I'm still stopping myself from, from living that life fully and judging myself for the weight. And I feel like the lesson in all of it is really just to love yourself. And I think that's um, kind of a big struggle for me because of of my past. And, you know, there are some times that I can just say, you know what? doesn't matter. Moving on. And then there's other times where, you know, looking in the mirror at, you know, the cortisol abdomen and um, the, the body shape is, is like really hard for me to sit there and love myself over it. And I know that my mother had the same problem and that her mother was always really critical of her over it. And maybe her mother was to her too. So I'm very careful not to criticize my daughter at all. I, I really support her however she wants to be. Um, and maybe that's where it'll end, you know, but I want it to, to really change within me as well because even though I can tell my daughter that or not tell her that she still sees me and she still has that example. So I want her to be able to see that I can get over it and that this is something that I can accomplish. And so this is like um, my last hump and I am um, really ready to, to get over it and really start getting out there And part of uh, getting over the last hump is uh, Just kind of accepting myself for where I am and then following through on Posting this stuff and sharing with people because connection is hard for me and so is vulnerability and Doing this is a really good exercise for me and I try to do something that I'm scared of doing every day and I do it to the best of my ability and my authentic self, which means that I'm not trying to mask or, or do something else. I'm completely and totally my eccentric, weird self. So I hope you guys, whoever's listening, find some solace that you're not alone in all this. And hopefully As we move through these episodes and things that um, I talk about and things that I talk about with John, I promise he exists. Um, He's just working, so that's often the time when I get to record and he'll be back. He's done some stuff with me, but we're just practicing because even though this (laughs) looks like maybe I quasi know what I'm doing, I don't. And I'm getting there, so... um, Thank you if you're listening and hopefully you tune for next time. There's a lot of things that I want to share and I'm going to be sharing. I have this show where you get your podcasts and um, my website is KianaLambertWagner.com and that's W-A-G-G-O-N-E-R. And it doesn't have a whole lot on there, just to kind of link to these podcasts. I'm working on stuff and working on my YouTube channel. So um, when I release a podcast, I also release it on the YouTube channel. Um, along my journey and even before this, I was really into um, a lot of, ma- not manifestation, but a, a lot of visualization that I did on my own, just naturally, that um, my higher self or, you know, my spirit, or whatever, would automatically... Things that I thought of, things that I've done to soothe myself over time that have really helped. And then um, my parents also did controlled remote viewing. And so I'm really familiar with that and, and got into some of the, the different kinds of spiritual things because of that. Anyway, I'm going to start doing a lot of uh, manifestation affirmations and visualizations. I don't know if visualizations are going to work for everyone. They really work for me, though. And I'm very talented at guiding somebody through uh, some meditation and some visualization affirmations, things that work for me, um, especially with my ADD. It's hard, so I have to be really detailed and guide myself um, on these uh, meditations. And with each one, I'll talk about the background and how they work for me. But that's going to be something separate from the podcast. So... um. I hope you enjoyed this. Um, the next show is gonna be a little bit more about my young adulthood, things that happened in that area and how they correlate back to my childhood and the cult. And I promise not every episode is gonna be about that. Um, but I'm kind of, in my brain, I am like, uh, like to do things linearly. So I'm starting from quasi, now relating it back to childhood. And then things that are happening now that relate back to things that I went through as they related to my childhood. And that may be um, an ADD way of doing it, but I hope you can follow along. Thank you for being here. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.